Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. We're in our series, Airplane Mode, Practicing Spiritual Disciplines, and we are going to talk about worship today. You know, the whole concept of this series, Airplane Mode, the little function on your phone, it allows people not to disturb you. Well, think about it. In this busy, hectic world that you and I live in, we need to turn down the noise and we need to tune in to the Lord and focus on Him. And that's really what this series is all about. Today, we're going to talk about worship. You know, when I was thinking about worship, I think so many times we associate worship with, with music, with a church building, and that's part of it. But worship is so much more. Um, you know, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And so the Bible says that our body as a Christian, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so you are the church and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. And so worship should be something that we do 24-7, 365 because we have the Lord with us. And when we learn to praise Him, when we learn to thank Him and we become grateful and thankful, um, you can have that sense of worship uh, within you uh, no matter where you are, no matter where you go, no matter what you do. And, and nothing can steal that away. Like I said earlier, Job lost it all. And he said, you know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, what an attitude. And so when I was thinking about worship, I wanted to try to define it, describe it. And so I found a few quotes. Uh, one guy said, Christian worship is man's loving response and personal faith to God's personal revelation of himself in Jesus Christ. And I like that because I think that two words that are embedded in worship is revelation and response. God takes the initiative. He reveals himself. Matter of fact, the Bible says that God is looking for worshipers. And yet, how will we respond to that revelation? You know, Moses, when God spoke to Moses, he caught his uh, attention. He captured his imagination. What, what is that bush burning over there? And yet it's not consumed. And he went over there to check it out. And God speaks to Moses through the burning bush and says, Moses, take off your shoes, your own holy ground. How are you and I going to respond to the revelation of God in Jesus Christ? My personal definition of worship would be this. Worship is based on God's revelation to us, and it begins when we respond through submission, sacrifice, and service. Because we respond by submitting. We bow the knee. We call Him Lord. We praise His name. Uh, sacrifice, not in the Old Testament sense, but in the New Testament sense to where our praise is a sacrifice of praise. We, we praise Him because of who He is and what He's done. And then we serve Him. You, you know the old uh, uh, sayings that uh, those country churches had where it says, enter to worship and depart to serve. That is so true. Worship uh, has feet and it begins to uh, live out the uh, mission of Jesus. William Temple said, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God. 
to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. Well, I love that because it paints a vivid picture of what can happen inside of us when we choose to worship the one who's worthy of worship. It changes us, and we become more like Him. You know, in my neck of the woods in Tennessee, I was about 100 miles from Memphis, and uh, Steve Gaines, you know, succeeded uh, Adrian Rogers. He's the pastor there at Bellevue Baptist Church. I actually had the honor of, of having Steve Gaines come into my pulpit there in Tennessee, the church where I was. We celebrated our 100th anniversary, and he came, and and he preached, and I still remember this. I always remember this because Nancy and Elise were on the front row. Elise was little. Nancy, Nancy always had bows in her hair, and he's up here preaching, and he stops in the middle of his sermon. I'm sorry, Elise. And he goes, the bigger the bow, the better the mom. And then he kept on going. <laughs> Never forget that. But Steve Gaines had a great point. He, uh, he uh, wrote a book called When God Comes to Church. And the, the, the premise of the book is, you know, we complain today when we look at society. We want God to come back into our schools. We want God to come back into our government. And you know what he says? Why don't we start with the church? Why don't we make sure that God is in the church? Now, before you look at me and go, I can't believe you would even say something like that. You remember Revelation? You remember the church of Laodicea and Revelation? And remember how they were lukewarm? And, and Jesus' word to the, to the church in, in Laodicea is, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is talking to a church, the church of Laodicea. And he says, I stand at the door and knock. In other words, the reason why they're lukewarm, the reason why they're in the mess they're in, is he's outside the church. He's not inside the church. And he says, Behold, if you hear my voice, uh, you know, I stand at the door and knock, and if you will, let me in. I want to tell you something. We need to pray that God would start, you know, doing something in our community, but start in our hearts, start in our homes, start in our church. Steve Gaines says this. He says, Perhaps what we need now is a reformation of worship a whole new understanding based on Scripture of what it means to draw close to God. We need to grasp that when we give our heart to God, He in turn shares His heart with us. And when we have genuinely worshipped Him, we leave the service having made a wondrous exchange. He has our heart and we have His. That's what worship is, y'all. That's what worship is. I want to show, share with you a few things this morning. Look, if you will, in Psalm 95. In uh, Psalm 95, um, I think of this when I think of worship. A uh, Psalm of David, and it says here in Psalm 95, verse 1, Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to Him in song. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. The depths of the earth are in His hand, and the mountain peaks are His. The sea is His. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people 
of his pastor, the sheep under his care. I love that. When you know the Lord, you begin to see him for who he really is. And you thank him because he created you, but you also thank him because he has saved you. I don't have time to go there, but I want to point you to uh, worship is something that only God's people can truly do. Because we realize how worthy he alone is of worship. And so I'm reminded of Revelation. You can write this down, look it up sometime later, but Revelation 4 and 5. In Revelation 4, there in heaven, all of those that are gathered around the throne, they worship God because He's Creator. He, he, he made it all. He made the sea. He made the land. He, he made people. He is an awesome God. And if nothing else, He's worthy of worship because He is the Creator. But then in Revelation chapter 5, all of a sudden we realize another reason why we worship Him. He is our Redeemer. He gave His one and only Son, who gave His life, who shed His blood so that you and I could be saved. And so we praise Him, we worship Him, we thank Him, not just because He made us, but because He saved us. Well, what I want to do uh, today is I want us to look at what the Bible teaches about worship. And quite frankly, this was a challenging message for me because I wanted to get past the packaging of, oh, you mean when we're in a worship service and it's on Sunday. Well, that's part of it, but that is not all of it. Remember, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so we should be worshiping all the time. And then I wanted to get past the preferences. Well, I like this style and I like that song. I wanted to get past all that and get right down to the root and the heart of what is worship. And so look at this for a moment. What the Bible teaches about worship. Number one, the reality of worship. Now you might say, what do you mean the reality of worship? I submit to you that everybody worships something or someone. Even someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. Even someone that, that is not a spiritual or religious person. I guarantee you they still worship. I'm going to show you how. You might go, well, you got my attention. Well, let's look. And we're going to look at the book of Romans. Selected highlights of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. In other words, they hold it back because they don't want to hear it. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. In other words, God's wrath is being revealed in the world today because there are people that don't care about God, don't know God, they're doing wrong, and they're suppressing, they're holding back the truth. God has revealed Himself to them, He's made it evident to them, He's shown it to them, but they don't want to see it and they don't want to hear it. Go on to verse 20. For God's invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature, those attributes, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what He has made. And as a result, people are without excuse. Paul is saying that no one is going to have an excuse when they stand before God on Judgment Day because the fingerprints of our Creator are all over His creation. Who else made everything that you see? 
the sky, the, the land, the sea, the, the birds, the fish, the trees, you and me and everything else. He has made it all. And through His creation, we can see that it would take uh, something with power, something of a divine nature to make that transcends time, that, that, that stands the test of every generation. And so it goes on and says this, For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. In other words, they saw this great God and this good God and they said, I'm not bowing the knee. I'm not going to confess that I believe. I am not going to worship. It's what they chose to do. And as a result, we'll skip on down to verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. Did you catch that in verse 25? Not only did they exchange the truth of God for a lie, but they still worshiped. They still served. It just wasn't God. It was something else or someone else. Like I said, the reality of worship is everybody worships something. And to put this in Bible terms, you either worship the God, the God of the Scriptures, our God and Father, the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, or you worship an idol. Remember the Ten Commandments? You know, the very first one, you shall have no other gods before me or besides me. Idolatry is when we, when we worship something or someone instead of God. And this world is full of idols. And anything can be an idol. It doesn't have to be something bad. It can be something good. You know, you can worship your career. You can worship your family. You can worship entertainment and sports. You can worship, uh, you know, you can worship your possessions. You can worship all kinds of things instead of God. And that would be idolatry. Worshiping and serving the wrong thing. That's the reality of worship. The second thing I want you to see is the reason for worship. This gets into why do we worship? Particularly, why do we worship the Lord? Why do we worship? Well, I want to show that to you. It's in Romans uh, 5, verses 8 through 11. One of my favorite verses is Romans 5, 8. But God proves His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I, I've always loved that. I, I can't get past that verse. Why? Because God doesn't say, clean up your life, get in church, and if you're lucky, I might pay attention to you. I, I might listen to your prayer when I get around to it. No, that's not what God does. God says, I'm going to prove my love for you before you even knew anything about me, before you even cared to know that I was real and existed. I sent my son. He died on the cross for you. And then he says, and I pray that someday you'll realize just how much I love you and how much I have proven that love because I've already done it. I've already sent my son. While you were still a sinner, Christ died so that you might be saved. And then Paul makes this argument in Romans 5, 9. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by His blood, will, be, 
will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. You see, before we came to know the Lord, we were an enemy. We were a sinner. We had broken God's laws, and we were condemned already by the law. And if we stand before the God in that condition, we're in trouble. We're, we, we are going to stand before a just judge, a holy, righteous God, and we will get what we deserve. But we are saved when we come to the foot of that bloodstained cross and realize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Son of Man. He died on that cross for you. He died on that cross for me. And we are saved from the wrath to come, the, the judgment of God, because He paid the price for us. He took our place. That saves us. But then He makes this argument of how much more, if we're reconciled to God through His death, how much more are we reconciled to God by His life? Because see, even though Jesus died on that cross, and they put him in a tomb. On the third day, he rose again. And he, he appeared to many. And after 40 days of appearing to many different people, he ascended to heaven. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. He sits at the right hand. Why? Because he's completed everything that needs to be done for you and I to be saved. And he lives forevermore to intercede for us. And he says, one day I'm coming back. If I'm reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more, Paul would say, am I reconciled because He's alive? He's alive. That's how certain and sure I can be about my salvation and how you can be about your salvation. And you know what? That gives me pause to say, wow, what a Savior. What a mighty God we serve. How, how awesome is that? That's why, that's why we worship. Look what He has done for us. And then the other thing I want to look at is Romans 8, 1 through 4. In Romans 8, 1 through 4, He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Remember when you were a sinner and the law condemned you and you stand before the just judge? You're guilty. It's over. It's too late to plead mercy. You're, you're standing before the judge. You're guilty. The law condemns you. That's it. But listen, Paul taught the Galatian church that the law is the schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. The law proves to us that we're a sinner and therefore we need a Savior. And when we come to the foot of a bloodstained cross, when we come to Christ and we ask Him to save us, we are now... Uh, in Christ and He is in us. And that's why Paul says there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I believe uh, one great preacher said the law can, can chase a person to the cross, but no further. Why? Because there's no more condemnation at the cross. Because you are now in Christ. There's no condemnation. It says because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. 
He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's why we worship. That's why. It's because look what He did for us. And He's made it possible now for us to be reconciled to God. Not just because of His death, but also because of His life. And now I have this relationship with God. I believe He lives. And guess what? He lives in me. And that is the reason why I worship. That is the reason why you worship. And then the last thing I want you to see is the response of worship. And we have to go to Romans 12. You can't go to Romans and talk about worship without going to Romans 12. In Romans 12, Paul said, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Now, to Jews that would hear that, they would think of Old Testament. They would think of the way things were done in the Old Testament. They would bring a sacrifice to the priest and they would offer that sacrifice on the altar. And that would be the prescribed way for them to worship. But we know now that Christ is the Passover Lamb. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ is the Passover Lamb. He's already been sacrificed. He, he came and He died on that cross. And on the third day He rose again. He lives forevermore. And so now we can have this relationship with the Lord. And so how do we respond when He's already made the offering? He's already uh, given the sacrifice. Well, He says, in view of the mercy of God, I urge you and me to present our bodies, to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Remember the story Danny just told. All in. Bow, stretch before God. We offer ourselves. That's what we do. That's the response. When you and I offer ourselves to God and we're all in, once He has ourselves, it's easy for Him to use our stuff. And so I want to encourage you today to look at this. The reality of worship, everybody worships something. The reason for worship is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look what He did. He did that for me. He did it for you. And the response of worship is when we offer ourselves to Him. I want to very quickly give you three questions to consider before I wrap this up. I'm going to call it, how do you, value, how do you evaluate your worship? Okay, Because now that we understand that worship is something that starts with God revealing Himself and our response to that revelation. I want to give you three quick questions to ask yourself to evaluate your worship. Number one, do you expect to encounter God? Now, that's not presumptuous. That's a serious question. When you come to worship, whether it's here in our church or every day when you wake up, and you think about your day, and you think about the One who gave you life and gives you your very breath, 
Do you thank Him? Do you praise Him? And when you, when you, when you set aside a time to worship God, my biggest question is, do you expect to meet Him? You know, uh, write these verses down, or, or at least these references. Second Chronicles 16, the Bible says, The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show Himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to Him. Um, did you know that? That was God's prophet speaking to a king. And he says, look, he, he had a problem. He didn't know how to fix it. And he was looking to man and other militaries for help. And the man of God says, the eyes of the Lord to the king roam throughout the earth to show himself strong to those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. God is looking for a way to show up and to show out in your life if you will just say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. And you give yourself to him and you fully depend on him. That's the kind of prayer he likes. Psalm 42, 1 through 5 the psalmist says, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been going through a dry season in your life? And In the back of your mind, even if you never said it out loud, you're like, where's God? Like, I haven't had that closeness you know in a long time where is he well the psalmist says i've been there and he says i remember this as i pour out my heart how i walk with many leading the festive procession to the house of god with joyful and thankful shouts why my soul are you so dejected why are you in such turmoil put your hope in god for i will still praise him my savior and my god i love that because we don't always get answers do we we don't always fix the problems in our lives. We don't always solve the mysteries that we encounter. But one thing we can do, we can hold on to the one who knows and who does. And that's what this psalmist is saying. He says, you know, I can't wait to meet God. And, one and sometimes when I wonder where is God, what's He up to, I don't understand what's going on in the world, but I know that I trust Him. And I'm going to choose to praise Him. And that's the choice to worship. You and I have that choice today. And I want to encourage you with this verse, John 4, 23. This is in the conversation Jesus had with a woman at the well in Samaria. And he told her, he says, An hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. I want to tell you that God is looking for worshipers. And He responds to people who respond to His revelation by offering themselves. Lord, I have nothing to bring. There's nothing I can do to, to, to impress you. There's nothing I could do to earn your favor. But Lord, I simply come just as I am, offering all that I am because of who you are. And I worship. That's the heart. Number two, do you experience God's presence? See, not only do you expect to meet with God, but do you experience God's presence? That's a legitimate question. When's the last time you felt God's presence? Think about that for a minute. Personally, I felt it today in this service. And it makes me smile to say that. Been a lot of services, you know, that 
you go to and you're like, well, it was all right. So when you can say, I felt God was in the house, that's good. You know, I had a professor at Midwestern Seminary and um, he went on a sabbatical one year to find out why people were leaving church. His name's Dr. Rodney Harrison. He went to a bunch of Southern Baptist church members across 12 different states in the Midwest. And he rode on his Harley motorcycle and he asked them questions and he did this survey. He surveyed over 500 former church members of Southern Baptist churches in the Midwest. And he said, tell me why you left. Tell me why you're not going back. And overwhelmingly, the number one reason was they said they left the church because they didn't feel the presence of God. He, he, he said, I heard this a hundred times, I just didn't feel the presence of God in that church anymore. Former members often describe their former churches as nice places, but the manifest presence of God, that's Harrison's words, they didn't feel it. People left churches where they don't feel like God was showing up more than any other reason during his study. Wow. Now, if you know your church history, go back and read the revivals of the 1700s. Go back and read revivals like the Great Awakening. Go back and read about the revival that happened just up the road at Asbury several years ago. And you will see that when God shows up, people become broken, they become humble, they become honest, and they begin to lift up the cross. They begin to die to self. And when they gather together, you know God's there and you can't wait to see what He's going to do next. I don't know about you. That's what I want to see. Amen. Why can't He do it here? Why can't he do it now? Why can't he do it today right here in Pulaski County? Matthew 5, 23 says, If you're offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. Go and be reconciled with your brother and sister, and then come and offer your gift. See, some of you might say, I'm with you, Pastor. Let's worship. Let's magnify the cross. Let's do this. All right, let's do it. But God's word might be to some of you, God might be saying before you worship, you know that grudge that you have against somebody? You know that hurt that you have that you've never let go of and you've never quite gotten over it, you've never been healed? Why don't you pick up the phone? Why don't you walk across the aisle? Why don't you schedule time to go see that person and get things right? with them and then when you get things right with them you'll be amazed at what I do in your life now that might not be that may not be what we want to hear but it's biblical it's Old Testament and New Testament you might say Old Testament what do you mean remember remember Job that I mentioned earlier and how he lost everything and yet he could say the Lord give the Lord taketh away but blessed be the name of the Lord and he lost it all. I mean, he lost his possessions. He lost his, his, uh, all ten of his children. He even lost his health. And then his friends showed up. And for one week, they were great. 
Matter of fact, they were golden. You know why? Because silence is golden. For one week, his friends gathered around and they just sat there with him. They supported him. They encouraged him. They didn't say a word, but they, they were just there to say, man, we love you and we're here with you. And then after one week, <clears throat> they cleared the air and said, Joe, this don't make sense. We think you're hiding something. We think you've really messed it up. I mean, for God to do all this, fess up, man. What have you done that we don't know? That was the tactic they took. That was the approach and the tone they had. And they began to lecture him. And you can read the book of Job. They went round and round, debate after debate after debate. And at the very end, God shows up in a storm. And God tells Job to pray for his friends. Hmm. You see, sometimes, even when God shows up, he says, you know, I know what you've been through. I'm right there with you. But you've got to let that go. Job prayed for his friends. You and I, we might need to be praying for some people. We might need to put some feet to our prayers and make some things right. A third and final question, how do you evaluate your worship? Do you expect to meet God? Do you experience God's presence? And the last question is, do you express devotion to God by serving others? Now, many of you know my background. I wanted to be a band director. I was sold out on music, and then two weeks after graduating high school, I surrendered to preach, and I dropped music like a hot potato. I still love it, but I know what God's called me to do. And uh, you know that on my dad's side of the family, they're Pentecostal. And if you've ever been around charismatics who worship, I love the way that they worship freely. But it's real easy. It's real easy sometimes to treat Jesus like a drug. What do I mean by that? Oh, we go and we worship and we praise and woo, you know, it's awesome. And then we go out into that world and it's like it never happened. We do our own thing. Same old thing, Monday through Saturday. Then when it comes to Sunday, we got to put on, we got to put on for church. Listen, that's not worship. Worship is when we offer ourselves to God. In response to what he's done for us, we offer ourselves to God and we serve him. Remember what I read a few moments ago in Romans 1? Those that chose not to worship, those that exchanged the truth of God for a lie, they refused to bow to the Lord, they, they refused to confess Jesus as Savior, they, they refused to worship God, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator when you worship you're going to serve what you worship and when you worship god you serve him when you don't worship god not only do you not worship him and not serve him but you will serve whatever it is you worship you look around you can see it everywhere absolutely everywhere so do you express devotion to God by serving others. Colossians says, whatever you do in word and in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God to the Father through Him. I love what this one guy said, Nathan Snyder said about worship. He says there's a lot of consumerism that takes place in churches based partly on a wrong understanding of worship. When worship is viewed in a context of self-fulfillment, it leads to critical 
and negativity, and when worship is viewed as self-emptying through humble service, then critical spirits melt away because the heart is softened. Worship which is acceptable to God can never be about us. And that's true. But I will say this, when you and I choose to worship, we'll say something like this, man, I had a hard week. I didn't want to come today. I had every reason not to. But when I left today, my cup runneth over. I'm reminded of how great God is. I'm reminded of how good God is. And that's enough. One last verse. Psalm 116, 1 and 2 says, I love the Lord because he heard my appeal for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call out to him as long as I live. That's why I worship. I want to encourage you today. Think about the one who loves you so much that he's already proved his love. He's already demonstrated it when he sent Jesus while you were a sinner to die on that cross for you and me. He alone is worthy of all praise. He alone is worthy of all worship. Every single one of us today worships something. I just pray it's the right thing, and that's Jesus. Today you're going to have an opportunity. We're going to give an invitation, and I would encourage you right now, if you've never took that first step, to take that first step, bow the knee, confess Him as Lord, cry out out in your heart, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and ask Him to save you. And then won't you come and talk to me or Brother Danny or Devin and let us know that you've made that decision. We want to talk with you. We want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. And then express that through the waters of baptism. That's your public statement of faith. Let's all stand. As musicians come, let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you for this time in the Word. And Lord, I pray right now, God, that your will would be done in this service and especially in this invitation. Lord, I pray right now that you would help us to realize that everybody worships something. But Lord, help us to realize the reason why we worship to start with because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, we call upon the name above every name. The only name under heaven whereby we can be saved. We call upon that name. And you've heard our cry. And Lord, we want to worship you for the rest of our lives. Lord, as our response, we offer all that we are for all that you are. We thank you, Jesus. We love you and we praise you. Father, have your will and way today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.